Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition podcast, in which we talk all things sustainability with some of the most distinguished experts in the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Rodrigo Pereira, VP of Product Management at GrowIQ. Today, I'll be talking with Brooke Butler and Caitlin Edwards from Simplifya. Brooke is VP of Partnerships, and Caitlin is a regulatory analyst. Brooke and Caitlin will discuss regulatory frameworks, GMP, and how it affects the ability of cannabis companies to structure and implement sustainability in practical ways within their operation in the bounds of these regulations. They'll also discuss how Simplify is helping operators navigate these regulatory hurdles. There's a ton of insight in the conversation you don't want to miss. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition podcast. Uh, joining us today are Brooke Butler and Caitlin Edwards from Simplifya. Uh, Brooke is the VP of Partnerships at Simplifya, and Caitlin is a regulatory analyst. Uh, Brooke and Caitlin, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hello, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we get started, um, you know, and, and there's probably a, a lot of our listeners that uh, may not be familiar with uh, Simplify. It'd be great, uh, maybe Brooke, if you could give us a little bit uh, of background on the company, and then you know, then we'll kind of, kind of transition to hear both of your uh, personal backgrounds and stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, for those of you that aren't familiar with Simplify, um, we are a software tool um, that uh, was actually kind of the the brainchild of the Vicente Cedarberg Law Firm. Um, based out of Colorado, where we're headquartered, um, back in 2016. And um, what they realized was like, you know, after Colorado transitioned into the, uh, you know, recreational adult use market from just being medical, there was a lot of new, you know, entrants or licensees that wanted to be compliant, but that hadn't, you know, been, you know, tasked with reading through 473 pages of legal narrative to figure out all the things they can and can't do. And so, um, Simplifya was created to be a really easy to use, affordable software solution to help, you know, anyone that is trying to operate in the licensed, you know, and heavily regulated market, uh, you know, be able to survive and, and really thrive without having to spend every second, uh, you know, focused on learning and, and staying up to date with all of the, the compliance changes that they are up against. Um, and so, we help clients self-audit their business against their state and their local regs. Uh, we have uh, really wonderful standard operating procedure templates that um, can help a company get uh, licensed for their application part of that process um, or, you know, uh, maintain it once they are operational. And then we have a great document management system, a, a wonderful, robust license and badge tracker. Um, and we also, uh, you know, have products uh, that now serve uh, financial institutions. Uh, governments, and we've also moved into uh, the payment space. Um, that's our, our newest offering. And so um, we are all focused kind of on really eliminating any challenge that, that companies face in that compliance space. Um, I kind of joke with everybody that we're the, the good, bad guys in the industry. We're doing, <laughs> you know, nobody wants to do or really use, but somebody has to. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And, and, you know, I think, um, you know, from, from seeing it from over here in Massachusetts, I mean, you, you sort of look at the the burden some of these companies that are starting off have to go through and just imagine having that tool is is incredibly valuable yeah that's what we're, we're trying to be yeah no, and, and so Brooke, just the, if you don't mind uh going into a little bit um how, you know how you got into the cannabis industry you know i guess 
what are some of your interests in in that area, you know, with cannabis and sustainability? Yeah, well, um, you know, I'm kind of a, a weird character. I, uh, before cannabis, I actually spent uh, over a decade abroad, um, actually doing kind of macroeconomic uh, research um, on emerging markets. And so I've lived in, in countries uh, like Nigeria and Sri Lanka and the Philippines um, and, and been able to do a lot of really interesting things. And so I've always been a policy and, and kind of a red, you know, nerd. But as far as sustainability goes, uh, you know, I, I have always been interested in it uh, from as far as how regulations play a role in, in sustainability. Um, because when I was living in Nigeria, whenever we would go down to the Niger Delta, one of the things that really just drove me nuts was the fact that all the of all the big oil, you know, stuff down there, they were all flaring gas because it was actually cheaper to pay the fine to flare the gas <laughs> than it was to do all of the like regulatory steps to actually get rid of it properly. And so for me, like I love puzzles like that, but mm -hmm. it, you know, because it's so interesting to me that like, if you leave a company up to it, like they're nine times out of 10 going to go the profitable route. They're not going to go the sustainability route. So yep. for me, I'm really interested in, you know, what role regulations can play in sustainability. Fantastic. And that's, uh, that sounds awfully familiar just from my upbringing. Yeah. I, grew, I grew up in Mexico and, uh, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of that too. It's just, yeah. It just, it, it really hurts your head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Caitlin, I, I guess I want to pass it over, over to you and, and the same question, you know, maybe if you can give us a little bit of background as to how you got into the cannabis industry and, and some of your interest in, in sustainability within, within cannabis. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I um, got my start in the cannabis industry actually as an intern when I was in college. Um, a local cannabis company um, had promoted an internship. They had the um, CU Boulder or Univers University of Colorado Boulder Business School. Um, mm -hmm. And at the time, and still to this day, I was um, very interested in the intersection between business and government and how it, a business can um, be profitable, um, as well as stay within the regulatory, um, red tape that's in place. And obviously the cannabis industry exemplifies that perfectly. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was super interesting. Um, so I applied for that internship and ended up getting the internship. And then when I graduated college, they hired me on full time, this company, they're a vertically integrated multi-state, um, cannabis operator. So, you know, they have, uh, dispensaries, both medical and recreational um cultivation facilities and manufacturing facilities so um yeah they hired me on full-time where i did um compliance and licensing work as well as um i was their community liaison so i was the essentially the middleman between the community organizations that the company worked with um as well as the local government and city council um stuff like that so uh, then i transitioned a couple years ago to um, a regulatory analyst at Simplifya, and the name, you know, regulatory analyst pretty much describes what I do: um, analyzing, um, researching, comprehending all of the um, regulations in place that um, cannabis companies throughout the country have to abide by, and essentially translating it into um, content that are that is easy to easy to understand that our clients um, buy from us or use via our software platform. Um, and in terms of sustainability, I'd say what um, interests me the most with that in terms of the cannabis industry is definitely 
with my time at the company that I was talking about earlier that hired me on after college and that I interned for. Um, they were based in Boulder, Colorado. And Boulder, um, I'm not sure if you know this or listeners know this, but it's a very progressive green place um, mm-hmm. where sustainability is very key. Um, so I was introduced to that very uh, you know, firsthand when I working for that company is how, how are we going to stay within all the regulatory requirements as well as be profitable in terms of sustainability and then also be above the or be the first company in the area that's doing these sustainable things so that we have a competitive advantage and a competitive competitive edge. And I'll get um, into that a little bit later on, but I'd say that's definitely where um, my interest in sustainability in terms of cannabis came about. Awesome. Uh, no, that's, that's fantastic, Caitlin. And yeah, I think what, what's interesting here and talk about your background is that I think having been, I guess, on the customer side of things, it probably gives you much more say empathy to what they're going through and, and you know, sort of uh, help, you know, develop a product that can, that can really, uh, companies can really leverage and ultimately help them, you know, kind of uh, navigate these regulatory waters. Yeah. Awesome. So I, I think that gives us a really good pivot point uh, to sort of my first question. And, and Brooke, this one, this one's for you. I mean, so um, we were just talking about regulatory burdens and, and obviously operators you know, already face quite a bit in, in multiple of these regulatory burdens. Um, do you think it's, it's fair for cannabis companies to expect to pursue sustainability in what's already a really regulated and sort of expensive market? Great question. Um, you know, I mean, sadly, yes. Uh, you know, it's, it is not something that any industry um, including cannabis is going to be able to turn away from and not make significant strides towards, you know, over the coming years and decades. And, you know, it, like you said, the, there's really two big challenges, though. Um, when you talk about sustainability uh, in cannabis, though, and, and what these operators are are up against, um, you know, first off, um, sustainability was not exactly on the top of the to-do list <laughs> of the regulators when they initially, you know, legalized and subsequently regulated uh, their industry. Um, you know, their main priorities were, you know, really clamping down on the illicit market and of course, public safety. Um, and so you've got that, you know, it, it wasn't built into those original set of regs, which as you mentioned, were plentiful. There's, mm-hmm. uh, I always use this and I, it's, it gets, I feel crazier every time I say it, but they have regulated cannabis more than plutonium, if you can imagine, right? So you hit the nail on the head. Like they've got a million regs to deal with and before sustainability is layered in there. Yep. And then second, and this is probably the, the bigger issue, is, you know, in, in many, if not most states, um, cannabis regulators and environmental programs uh, typically operate completely separately, which uh, often results in, environmental permits being overlooked until long after licenses have been obtained. Huh. Or uh, the other thing that you can think about is, is when it comes to money, right? Like you said, they, these operators have a huge hurdle to overcome just to get compliant. And so if they're only budgeting for the regs that are there now, and they're not keeping cash on hand that they're going to have to burn through to keep up with what regs are coming down the pipe, then they've gone through all that work to get a license, but won't be able to keep up with those other reg sets that they're going to have to deal with later on. Like if a water board comes in 
uh, or an environmental protection agency and things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's tough, but the one thing I can say is we are starting to see more of that built into the regs because as more States and countries started to, to, to legalize, they've been confronted with the reality and there's no getting around it, but, you know, cannabis does use huge amounts of pesticides, energy, water, you know, uh, and, and packaging waste, you know, mm-hmm. that part of the supply chain. And, uh, what really shocked me was, I think that it, uh, the number of something like 10,000 tons of packaging waste was generated by cannabis sales in the first year of legalization in Canada, wow. 10,000 tons. Wow. And, and that's partly because they've regulated it that way. Like in some States you have to have you know, a plastic child resistant bottle inside a child resistant package and child resistant bag. That's three or four layers of plastic that are having to be used before somebody even walks out the door. And so, you know, we should see more of this evolve, but it's, it's a tough, it's a tough operating environment for, for cannabis companies, no matter what way you look at it. Yeah, no, you know, I, I think those are some, some really good examples, Brooke. And um, Caitlin, I think this sort of brings me to, to the next question, which is, you know, you worked with a, a large license operator, MSO. I guess what were some of your experience with sustainability? I think both in terms of the, the compliance aspects with regulatory requirements and also the uh, business practices. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, the cannabis company that I had worked for was based out of Boulder, Colorado. Um, so in Boulder, both the county and the city, they, um, require that marijuana facilities report their energy use and offset their consumption through one of three ways. The first one being installing um, a renewable energy facility. Um, The second way is to participate in a verified solar garden, or you can pay into a city fund. Um, So this is a really good example of a pretty burdensome regulatory requirement that uh, a cannabis facility at the local level would have to abide by. And I just wanted to break those three ways down a little bit, just um, to highlight actually like how burdensome it actually ended up being and kind of how this exemplifies a failure, in my opinion, on part of a local jurisdiction in terms of how are we going to monitor cannabis facilities, regulate them, and um, have a, the initiative be sustainability. So for installing a renewable energy facility, I mean, that's you're looking at like a $500,000 minimum bill in order to do right. that. Um, so that, at least for our my company that I used to work for our purposes was not going to happen no way. Uh, Then the solar garden. So um, participating in a solar garden essentially means you're buying um, kind of a piece of a solar energy garden and you're contributing to that. But unfortunately at the time, no solar gardens were uh, available. They had already been all taken up. So that Mm -hmm. was an So the only option we had left was to pay into this offset fund. Um, We, no one in the industry um, the in Boulder was clear as to where this money was going and ended up being a ton of money that our our company was paying into. And just in general, they were getting a ton of money. It was almost like a tax without it being called being, a tax. Being called a tax and it just didn't seem particularly fair. Um, so yeah, I think that this energy offset fund in Boulder was definitely my most prominent example of sustainability in the cannabis industry and like how it could it can sometimes fail. And sometimes it's, you know, I don't think um, regulatory bodies don't um, take into account all the burdens that cannabis organizations have to face. There are the initial um, barriers to entry, the financial burdens, the compliance costs. So adding sustainability 
um, requirements on top of that can be a lot. So I think that um, regulatory bodies have to think about that in a very thorough um, way that's both, you know, taking into consideration, of course, the environment and consumers, but also businesses themselves. So, and then as far as internal business practices that I saw working for um, a licensed operator, it was definitely, you know, all about staying ahead of the curve at this point, because I think, as Brooke mentioned, sustainability requirements, if they aren't happening yet, they're coming down the pipeline. So I, where I, the company that I worked for was very aware of that and also were, was aware of the competitive advantages that came with being a sustainable company. So they um, used eco-friendly containers composed of re- recycled milk jug plastic mm-hmm. um, and they used LED lighting in their cultiv- cultivation facilities. Um, they had recycling units at the dispensaries for customers to use um, and they had an intense like monitoring procedure in terms of water use in place um, for their cultivation facilities as well. And again, these none of these were required by the state or local government, but it was just their way of staying ahead of the curve in order to be sustainable, knowing that that's going to be required at some point in another or another. So, so I think you know, your two examples are super interesting, Caitlin, from a perspective of, you know, on the one hand, you have you know, these sort of like uh, good intentions, but then unintended consequences in terms of you know, uh, really paying into this fund and not knowing what was happening with that money. But then also, you know, conversely, sort of the, the uh, company taking charge and really applying some of these sustainability practices by, you know, by themselves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think those two examples paint that picture um, very well. Yeah, Caitlin. So, um, as far as I understand, you're also uh, Simplify as resident GMP expert. Um, so, do you see any overlap between GMP and sustainability? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I want to give a quick overview of GMP, as not maybe every listener knows exactly what that means. So, GMP stands for Good Manufacturing Practices. It's actually um, a globally accepted system of regulations um, surrounded by, around um, quality control and quality assurance and overall consumer safety. Um, in the United States, uh, it's referred to as CGMP, so current good manufacturing practices, and it's um, overseen by the FDA. Um, and usually it's in regards to the pharmaceutical industry, so the companies that are producing pharmaceuticals and vaccines, uh, you know, we see, we're seeing right now. So um, because cannabis is illegal at the federal level, the FDA does not regulate cannabis companies and therefore um, they do, cannabis companies are not forced to abide by these FDA GMP regulations, but we're seeing more so than ever and that um, local governments and state governments are requiring both medical and adult use cannabis markets to follow these GMP guidelines. Um, And as we're talking about earlier, a lot of companies are starting to, even without these regulatory requirements, abide by GMP because they know that it's coming down the pipeline and they want to stay ahead of the curve. Um, So with that all being said, GMP, because it's focused on quality and consumer safety, um, inherently, environmental aspects and sustainability as a whole come into play. Although environmentalism and sustainability is not a principle of GMP, GMP does include many aspects kind of related to the environment. Um, Big one is waste and handling waste and hazardous substances. 
um, and as well as wastewater management. So I think enacting GMP will inherently allow a company to practice sustainability and vice versa. And I also think there's a lot of room and a lot of potential for GMP to incorporate more and more practices that are very sustainable or based off of sustainability. I was reading up on it actually before we um, hopped on this podcast and um, the World Health Organization, which oversees GMP at the global level, mm-hmm. um, they're actually right now going through a process, a rulemaking and a hearing process to get some feedback from stakeholders regarding um, sustainability and adding more sustainable regulations in their GMP guidelines. So that's something that's interesting and that interesting to see what the future holds for GMP and sustainability. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and it seems like, you know, in some ways, like you said, maybe it's not directly part of GMP, but there's there's probably some implications from, you know, following these practices. And not only, I think, the sustainability from the environmental point of view, but also from the business kind of sustainability point of view. Yeah, um, yeah, definite overlap. And I think they both as also um, being sustainable and being GMP compliant offer competitive advantages and offer potential for increased product quality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brooke, so sort of going back to one of the things that um, Caitlin was talking about, about, you know, some of the, 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 the for example, the kind of regulatory um, uh, agency and, you know, the effect it had on, on the LP that she worked at. I guess, what are some of the things that you're currently seeing from state regulatory agencies and uh, how, you know, going back to sustainability, how are they addressing that? Yeah, uh, it's, you know, we're starting to see, in you know, my opinion, some some encouraging signs. And and the biggest thing for me, again, goes back to operators, you know, kind of thinking about issues like sustainability at the beginning of their, you know, programs when they start to come up with their regulations. Because, you know, as Kayla mentioned, that lets the operators know up front before they get into the business what regulations and the cost associated with those they will be up against. Um, so I think the sooner we get to to that, the better. Um, and you're you're already seeing some of it. You're seeing them not only let people know what's in it, but also reward them if they're being sustainable. So like in Illinois, um, you know, and they uh, passed, I believe, recreational last year. Um, they actually, you know, said they were factoring environmental planning, including conservation and efficiency efforts into the scoring of uh, cultivation center applications. So that's a really positive step and sign and and a way to do it right. You know, you're Mm -hmm. letting them know what they're up against, but you're also incentivizing them to to do better and and go further with that. Um, Because as with all regulations of cannabis, they kind of typically always kind of start small and then you end up getting more regulations as they come. So I think that's good. And, and for your legacy states, you know, um, like Colorado or Oregon and, you know, things like that, you are seeing those, uh, you know, sets of regulations be continually, you know, revised and changed, but you're seeing more sustainability built into those changes now. And so, you know, in Oregon, as an example, growers uh, have to prove that they have a legal source of water. They've got much stricter water requirements. Uh, you know, I think increasing across probably lots of different states uh, in the country, which is good to good to see. And then states like Michigan, as an example, they've adopted rules uh, on things like industrial water, uh, wastewater, water uh, resources, and land management. 
um, and, and those type of things for cannabis growers. And uh, I know Caitlin mentioned waste uh, earlier. Um, in my opinion, Colorado used to have just not a great sustainability uh, program at all when it came to the waste regulations. And, and we've seen them revise those um, as well. And so that's always good to see too. You know, I think the more we see regulators being, you know, transparent and, and building in sustainability up front as they legalize, uh, that's great. But we also want to make sure since over half the country has at least some form of medical, uh, you know, programs now that those states aren't becoming stagnant and are evolving with the times. And and the, the great thing I would say, you know, in, in tandem with that is you've really seen our industry rise and meet the challenges of creating sustainable products. And so you've got lots of ancillary companies. Um, like I'll think of, you know, my friends over at, at, at Sana Packaging, you know, they're using hundred uh, percent recycled, you know, I think hemp plastic for their bottles. And so you're seeing, you know, both regulations come up, but the private industry start really coming up with products that are just going to go ahead and make it easier for companies to, you know, be sustainable going forward as well. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I think that's, that's super interesting point in terms of like, you really uh, thinking about this in terms of like these sort of monolithic regulations that can't change, but you know, on the one hand, states realizing that they have to change them to adapt. And, but then also obviously private industries taking that initiative and saying like, you know, we're going to sort of lead the, lead the way on this. And, you know, especially as you think about like really big markets, like New York coming online, you know, well now basically, yeah. um, no, that you know, that's, that's yeah, super and, interesting. And I would say, you know, sustainability is going to be an issue that either causes this country to get closer to legalization or not. Because think about it, you know, if everybody's biggest fear with cannabis is like, oh my gosh, the streets are just going to be filled with cannabis <laughs> and it's going to be, you know, just it smells like it, there's going to be waste everywhere. And so, you know, if we're not just littering the streets with cannabis, you know, packaging and, and stuff like that, people are not going to think we're, you know, destroying the world. Uh, yeah more states legalized. So it really is a social, you know, is, issue for our industry as well. Yeah. No, so, you know, and I can sort of attest to that personally. I live like a few blocks from a dispensary and, and, you know, you don't even notice it, which is kind right. of, um, um, no, that's, yeah, that's, those are really good points. Um, so sort of in, in the same vein of regulation, sustainability, um, you know, I think when you have to go about putting sustainability practices in place, you usually always talk about uh, standard operating procedures or SOPs. Um, so I think, Caitlin, this is, this is more for you. You know, what, um, what SOPs should uh, licensed producers take into account as they, you know, as they you know, uh, kind of make sustainability, uh, sustainability practices uh, 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 you know, part of their operation? Yeah. Yeah. It um, at Simplify, uh, I'm one of the main standard operating procedure SOP drafters. So I deal with SOPs pretty much all day, every day. Um, and I just want to give just an overview on SOPs as far as they relate to the cannabis industry um, in general. Uh, at least I think for most standard operating procedures, but definitely can say this for Simplify standard operating procedures, they um, integrate both state-specific regulatory requirements as well as operational best practices in order to create easy-to-follow documents that outline policies and procedures that employees on all levels of the organization can follow. Um, 
And also SOPs more likely than not are going to be required uh, for your initial license applications um, as a cannabis business. And they're also more likely than not going to be a part of your subsequent renewal process, meaning that the regulatory agency that oversees your operation is going to want to see these standard operating procedures. So it's very important that they're well-written and yeah, integrate the regulatory requirements and best practices. Um, Regulators also may request to see these SOPs during an audit. So again, just highlighting the importance of SOPs, but as far as sustainability goes, a cannabis organization can implement standard operating procedures to reduce energy waste, let's say, or increase sustainability just as a whole. Um, and also they may be just actually required by regulators to do this. Um, I see a lot of the times in these regulatory sets for that cannabis companies have to follow, um, they have to have environmental plans. So us at Simplifya use these our standard operating procedures as a tool to enact these um, environmental plans. So we do this in Illinois, we do it in Massachusetts, um, Nevada, and Missouri. So those situations that say, okay, you have to have environmental plans in place. And then we go through and read that and see, okay, um, it's a plan. Therefore, we could use our standard operating procedures to hi- to write out this plan in the form of an SOP. And it will highlight um, all of the sustainable best practices as well um, as the regulatory requirements. And then a lot of categories covered in SOPs in general, but specifically Simplify SOPs that relate to sustainability include waste, which is what we talked about earlier, fibrous waste SOPs, consumer waste SOPs, hazardous waste SOPs. Um, We also have SOPs that pertain to air quality and environmental controls, especially with solvent use um, for manufacturers. Solvent use is not very great for air quality, so you can use standard operating to kind of mitigate that. And with odor control and odor control plans, um, packaging and the waste associated with packaging, um, again, as we were talking about earlier, and quality control and quality insurance um, in general. So yeah, so the qualities associated with standard operating procedures, such as um, saving time and training costs and reducing risk, increasing productivity, controlling consistency and controlling product quality, combined with the willingness of a licensed operator to pursue sustainable operations, make SOPs, in my opinion, a great resource for achieving compliant and sustainable cannabis operations. Yeah, and that, that's super interesting. And it seems like, you know, from my perspective, there should probably be in kind of like an impetu from uh, licensed operators to, to, you know, sort of want to do this. Because if you think about scaling a business, you know, the more you have sort of recorded on a paper, you know, mm-hmm. it reduces your variability in like you said, in processes and and uh, how you do, you know, one thing, uh, you know, from site to site. Um, so, you know, it seems like also yeah. kind of advantageous thing from a from a business perspective. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Regardless of what regulatory requirements are in place, I think a business should have standard operating procedures, regardless. And you know, just to connect it back to GMP as well. I mean, that is um, a requirement of good manufacturing practices. Um, is to have solid standard operating procedures in place, as well as just good documentation practices in general. So I think all of these intertwine in a really interesting way that can be really advantageous for cannabis companies. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm coming, you know, to to sort of the end of the podcast. But uh, Brooke, I, I you know, I, you you 
seen you you have exposure to a ton of the different markets and and obviously regulatory frameworks um but from the sustainability side you know what, what do you consider the future of sustainability in the, the cannabis industry to be you know what's what's your perspective yeah, I mean, I, I still really believe that, you know, our industry still has the opportunity to really kind of, you know, lead by example from the outset. I know we're not, you know, at the complete outset yet, but we're still in like, you know, the second inning, right, of, of the baseball game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we really could raise the bar for, you know, more sustainable best practice, uh, best management practices that you see, you know, in, in corporations. I mean, imagine if that was what we're known for as an industry. I mean, that gets rid of the naysayers that are against this real quick, um, or at least partly, right? Yep. Um, but I think the other big thing that, you know, we've already started to see a little bit of, and I touched on this, but I think you're going to see really, hopefully a lot more of going forward is sustainability playing more of a role as far as, you know, points or scoring new applications. Um, so if you want to, you know, expand your business or open up a brand new facility you will have to prove that you are, you know, putting good energy efficiency in place, using water, you know, respectfully and, and responsibly and those type of things. And people will get rewarded based on that. And so I think that, you know, that's going to help really speed things along a lot faster than saying, hey, these are the bare minimum regs that you have to do once you're already licensed. So I think that's going to be the thing that you see a shift towards more this year. And, and we've got what I think nearly 10 states now that are about to come up with their, you know, new uh, recreational, uh, you know, uh, regulate or medical regulatory regimes. And it'll be interesting to see how that is built into those states uh, that are coming up right now. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's really, um, again, just a really great perspective, Brooke. And, and I want to, I guess, thank you both for, for your time. This has been such an amazing conversation. I mean, I think usually when when people think about the cannabis industry you know regulatory frameworks is not something that you know might be like their first thought but but it's such a critical part of the process and obviously for people that are looking to get a license and organizations that are looking to let us uh get a license it's you know obviously critical to to have that in mind and and have you know products like simplify yeah that can help ease that and kind of shepherd them through uh that whole process yeah, I mean, the the sad but true, you know, joke that I make is, you know, unfortunately, you know, when you get into cannabis, you're not actually running a cannabis business. You're in charge of running a compliance business. And if you do compliance well, then you get to, you know, have fun with the cannabis. And so it's it's not fun. But like I said, that's that's why we're here. We're the good bad guys. Yeah. Awesome. So I think we'll, we'll, we'll leave it with that thought. Uh, Brooke, Caitlin, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, just an absolute pleasure talking with both of you. Yeah, our pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition podcast. If you like what you heard, tune into our next episode and make sure to check out our content on our website at sustainablecannabiscoalition.com and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Yep, we're pretty much everywhere. Till next time.